Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. How Hunter children do? So glad that Hunter to join. We one more again from We Show, Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio. This year the Queen Quet Head from the body of the Gullah Geechee Nation. So glad that Hunter children to tune in one more again to Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio Station, where we the key upliftment to the living legacy and the ancestral homage. So this year day, I'm going to dedicate this year to the late Mr. Quimby from Georgia Seattle and singers and things like that. And we want to dedicate this year to We Sacred Ancestor. Marvin Vatubin, one opera singer, says we still celebrate Black Music Month. You're in the Gullah Geechee Nation, punish your station. So we will give a moment of silence for both of them. Thank you, thank you. So we're so glad if I've you one more again for this year, Black Music Month and things like that. And this year, evening, we will make this year the Gullah Geechee roll call for music from the spirit, you know, and from the soul. Spiritual soul music and things like that. Because we have plenty of children with a kind out now. There are the people that are yet about all around the world because they're on the TV and things like that. But they understand the roots of where their children are there from. And they first know where the children are there from. Because plenty of these just showing things that package them for advertisement and things like that. But they ain't going into what the children cultivate will make them who they are. And so, what make a soul for singing things like that. Like the late great Majelu Vesey. We know why the cage birds sing. So plenty of time, it what gone through will make this song come to you. You understand? So that's why the spiritual and thing that we music here in the Gullah Geechee Nation from Jacksonville, North Skakalaki to Jacksonville, Florida, and even the 35 mile inland to St. John's River and thing like that. And that's why all this your time through this your month, so much of things been a grind on, we've been a shouting time for we and things like that. So for we make sure. All a hundred children understand. Let me crack my teeth down the rest of the week. And so I want to make sure that all of you get an understanding and overstanding of all that we're talking about here as we continue our Black Music Month celebration and start to go into a real roll call of who are the musical artists from the Gullah Geechee Nation and who worked with the musical artists from the Gullah Geechee Nation. And so... There are so many people who have been supporting our broadcast each and every year, and especially during June each year when we continue to celebrate Black Music Month. It's greatly appreciated. And we are to the point where we are only 740 folks short of passing that 90,000 mark. And I know in the summertime you all slow down a bit, but keep those downloads on iTunes, the free downloads of this broadcast going, and also Guayana to blogtalkradio.com slash Gullah Geechee, G-U-L-L-A-H, 
G-E-E-C-H-E-E, and make sure Hunter Chill and Yeti about we, because this year the we show, Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio. And our sponsor, the Gullah Geechee Sea Island Coalition, thanks everybody for the continued support of the coalition overall, but especially of this broadcast and our opportunity to bring things out of the Gullah Geechee Al-Kibulan archives, bring them off the shelves and to your ears and to your households, to your cell phones, to your iPads, your tablets, your computers around the world. And we greatly appreciate you continuing to not only tune in, but to also share these broadcasts in classrooms and also via social media networks from Twitter to Pinterest to varying arrays of dynamics with Facebook that you all share. And so we appreciate each and every one of you that has done this. And also you can always email us and let us know if you have comments, questions to G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at AOL.com, GoGeeko at AOL.com. And if you wonder how can you share this on Pinterest, because on GullahGeecheeNation.com, our blog, we always do follow-ups to shows with history, and there are several others that are going to be coming up, not only from Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio, but Gullah Geechee TV. And so we still have a number of things going on throughout the summer, so we've been trying to keep you all paced, and we hope many of you will be joining me tomorrow for Songs of Freedom at the Walter Burrow in Walterboro, South Carolina, at the Carlton County Memorial Library at 10 a.m. tomorrow morning, where we will celebrate with the children. So that is June 17th, and we'll be looking at Juneteenth through the lens of the Gullah Geechee story versus our family and friends and kinfolk that were out in Texas who received the word two years after the fact that freedom had come. So in this journey, we know that there are many delays that have happened over time with our story, not only with Juneteenth, which we celebrated at the beginning of the month at the Jepson Center at the Telfair Museum in Savannah, and I had the opportunity to see some people that I've known for many, many years now and hadn't seen them in some time, especially since uh, the husband of the group had passed on. But the Georgia Sea Island singers are still out and about and still doing their work. But many people are not familiar with the Georgia Sea Island singers if they're not from the Gullah Geechee Nation or didn't see them at the Smithsonian, or if they're not people who are ethnomusicologists who look into folklore and folk music that was collected back in much of the 1930s. And so when we start to look at music today and look at celebrations today, we have to look at how things were shaped based on the mindset of people of the 1930s era, based on what was going on in survival mode because of the Great Depression for many people, and the dynamics engaged in entertainment from that period of time to the present. So even when we start to celebrate on yesterday, I had a wonderful opportunity to spend a little bit of time with Brother Delvin Choice, who you all know we have been really supporting his career here on Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio. He was back home on St. Helena, and many people do not recognize and realize because Delvin Choice has been advertised as Greenville, South Carolina, that his family roots on the mother's side are on St. Helena Island, South Carolina, here in the Gullah Geechee Nation, and he is Gullah Geechee. And so he was raised here. He spent a lot of time here. Everybody know him here, um, you know, as well as the father's side, which is in Greenville. The same thing with Candace Glover. Delvin Choice, people saw on The Voice this season, 
Candace Glover they saw on American Idol last season and two other seasons before that. And initially they were promoting her as Beaufort, South Carolina, and she had to make a push to make sure her winning year that they promoted the fact that she's actually from St. Helena Island, South Carolina, which is in Beaufort County, but it is not the city of Beaufort, which many people saw as they packaged the programming for the television show, and they marketed her and her music and her sound without really giving, again, the credit and the credence to the roots of where these songs are coming from that emit so eloquently from her soul, but that she is a native St. Helena Islander, homegrown talent, as many of the pastors have called it. And so here it is that, once again, as people encounter the homegrown talent of the Sea Islands, as they've encountered it, they wanted to take it to another level. They wanted to also take it to other stages, and they wanted to take it to other places. We had much of our music altered even during the early years because of this, because of everybody from missionaries who then felt they were codifying the songs by writing them down, adding shape notes to them, or to also folks like the Fish Jubilee Singers who anglicized much of the spirituals and then took them elsewhere. Then we had others who, because they became trained musical artists in opera and various other things, that felt that that was the route in which to anglicize further the spirituals and to take them to stages that were more for European audiences or Anglo audiences so that they could understand what was being transmitted. But although they started to understand the words, much of the time the spirit of the music then got lost. And so it's so critical that we still have folks that are out here that are shouters, that we still have groups like the Gullah Connection, my group, that we could do that. But instead, we prefer to bring forth our music in the traditional way that you would hear it in the bush arbor, the brush arbor, the praise house, in the church, in some kind of church thing where shouting the thing still are going on. And so that when the world hears it, they recognize the true root of the Gullah Geechee culture and the traditions, the way our ancestors evolved those songs of the spirit called the spirituals that are our official state music, our official music of the Gullah Geechee Nation and the official state music of the state of South Carolina, as you all have heard me mention here this month and many times before on this broadcast. Now, what has been interesting in this journey during Black Music Month, back into our story and our songs, is how people's tracks overlapped during different periods of time. I opened tonight with a woman named Bessie Jones singing because many of the people who have started to study our folk music, as they call it, have come across Bessie Jones. They've come across books about Bessie Jones and the Georgia Sea Island singers in particular. But many of them don't know truly the background on Bessie Jones. Bessie Jones was born on February 8, 1902. She was actually from Smithville, Georgia, before she moved to coastal Georgia. She married a man from St. Simon's Island, Georgia, and that's where she met up with most of the people who became the initial Georgia Sea Island singers. Now, 
and some further research about her story. They say she wasn't actually born in Smithville. She came to the Georgia coast from Smithville, but that she was actually born in La Crosse, Florida. Okay, and so she was when she was born there. She then was in an area where they produce this thing called tongue oil, and she continued to be someone who practiced the traditions that she'd learned from her family. She didn't go to doctors. She wore copper bracelets, and she said those protected her from disease. And she did a lot of things that were rooted in African tradition, black culture of the South during that era of time that she would have been growing up. Now, here it is that even in the 1980s, she said she hadn't been to a doctor since 1925. So I feel like what she had done in terms of keeping her traditions and practices were beneficial to her, were healing to her. And the songs and the sounds that emitted from her and the Georgia Sea Island singers were healing for many people. Now, interestingly enough, People would wonder, well, how did the Georgia Seattle singers, out of all these homegrown talent that's here in coastal Georgia, coastal South Carolina, and so forth, how did they get to be where they got to be, to go and travel around the world, especially be a featured group over and over at the Smithsonian, like the Shouters are now, and this type of thing, where others that are as talented, that can sing, that can do these things, don't have the same opportunity. Well, that's the same thing that happens when you have people win shows like the ones we named. It's just, quote, unquote, in the cards for them. It's their destiny to do. But it was interesting to find the background because I know that one of the men that was critical in terms of the proliferation of much of the music from the Georgia coast here in the Gullah Geechee Nation was Alan Lomax. And Alan Lomax did a lot of documenting of music in this area, and he gets a lot of credit. But who doesn't get credit is another person who was from Florida, from Eatonville, Florida, Zora Neale Hurston, who is an anthropologist, African-American, and right on the borderline of being Gullah Geechee, and I'm still yet looking for more on the history of Eatonville and the people who actually settled that town and where many of them were from, because her writings, and the way in which she was able to communicate and commune within the communities here in Beaufort, in the city of Beaufort, as well as in the Georgia Sea Islands. And the work with the people is something that hasn't been fully explored, nor presented, nor recognized. And so, God bless the dead, I appreciate Zora Neale Hurston for her work beyond just the fictional works that people hear about, but in documenting our story here in the Gullah Geechee Nation. When she encountered, and Alan Lomax encountered Bessie Jones, Bessie Jones said her songs she actually had learned from her grandfather, and he had been born in Africa, okay, and then got kidnapped and was enslaved here in North America. So her whole journey was to bring a tradition back to the people in essence, you know. So there are a lot of different dynamics to the story of how did the Georgia Sea Island Singers come into be? Because when she came to St. Simon, there was already a singing group, okay? 
Many of the members of the group were born in Brunswick, Georgia, where we have the Tunis Campbell celebration every year, and some were born across the bridge from there, in St. Simon's Island, and a few from some of the other Georgia Sea Islands. Now, Lydia Parrish, who was an Anglo woman who collected songs and so on, put a group together called the Spiritual Singer Society of Coastal Georgia. This was in the 20s. And the reason they wanted them was very similar to why there is an organization for the preservation of Negro spirituals, which they're all Anglo people in Charleston, because they wanted performance groups that could come in and out of what's now gated areas. The you know, Cloister Hotel on Sea Island, Georgia, was for the rich and the affluent. They wanted people who were going to come there and entertain these folks. And so this group was put together to entertain these rich Anglo people that stayed at the cloister. So from that work with Lydia Parrish, kind of organizing them into performers, again, we see where the dynamic comes into the staging. And eventually Bessie Jones was said to have, Al Lomax met Bessie Jones when he came south in 1959. But then in 1961, Jones went to New York, and because she knew that Lomax was documenting and recording, she wanted to have a recording. And they say that then she encouraged him to come record her songs, you know, the ones she learned from her grandfather. But now, at this time, she was also a member of the group by now, the Georgia, what became known as the Georgia Seattle Singers. She joined that group in 1933. And she said in around that time, a year or two later, is when they changed the name of the group from the Spiritual Singer Society in Coastal Georgia. They changed the name. And I would take it that they changed the name so they could have more ownership over the group now and in where they were going with what they were going to be doing. But many people became familiar with the works and with the songs that they were singing on the Georgia coast because it was documented in a book from 1942. Then later there's a book called Step It Down, which um, is a book that really focuses on Bessie Jones and the musical work that she did. So it has been very interesting because the Alan Lomax collection are things that the Smithsonian sells. They actually sell these things, these collections of so-called folk music. And so when we start talking about black music, we have to look at how others have benefited financially from black music when many of our artists benefited slightly, but maybe not as much as the others. And so it is, it is a blessing that we still have members of this group alive and that are able to talk and tell their story. And they've done, you know, singing before presidents of the United States, and they've gone around to national festivals and celebrations, not only in Washington, D.C., but in other parts of the world. But now there's also a method to the madness when things are packaged to present to certain audiences. And so the stories of the hardship, the true hardship, the brutality, the exploitation of our African ancestors was not something that people want to hear. They want to be entertained. They want to be, keep it light, make it funny. And so we still have people around doing that today. 
And so it's interesting because I often think about vaudeville and I think of minstrel shows and I think of these kinds of things when I start thinking of those who chose to ignore the hardship and make it always jokey and light um, that would wear what they were given to wear in order to make it palatable for others and so that there is still that dynamic of our story when we begin to go into Black Music Month that I don't want to leave empty or lost as we talk about this roll call of who are really Gullah Geechee artists, musical artists, like the people who were born on St. Simon's and Brunswick, who were Georgia Seon singers, and then folks who migrated into the group, like Bessie Jones. I don't want it to get lost that we've had various eras of time, even now, and I'm talking about now in 2014, where we have people who are willing to dress in a way, sing a menu, do whatever it is that would entertain somebody else and meanwhile not discuss the hardships of still fighting for the human rights for Gullah Geechee's and to hold on to their land and their history, their heritage and culture. The Gullah Connection does this in our presentations, and the Gullah Connection members are primarily from St. Helena Island, but there are also some that are from Burton and Graves Hill, South Carolina, still in Beaufort County, and also from Uly O'Neill, Florida. And so we have a variety of folks that present with the Gullah Connection who are not just musical artists, but also people who can dramatize all that went on. So it's interesting because I can look at the story from inside and out, with and without the sheet for the music, but to, and especially not the sheet to cover up the facts of what has gone on and how people have not been provided with the background and the history of our story when they get into these dynamics of talking about musical artists that are native Gullah Geechee. Now, back during Women's History Month, you all heard me briefly touch on a person that was part of Vaudeville that I mentioned a little while ago, and her name was Bertha Chippy Hill. Some of y'all who listen to that broadcast, you would say, well, no, you ain't really just touching her. You really went into the story. And for those who are deep into black music and deep into blues, you may have already known her name, but I just learned of her this year. And Bertha Chippy Hill, who's a native of South Carolina, was considered one of the better classical blues singers of the 1920s. Okay, and they said she was really less vaudeville-oriented than many of her contemporary people at that time. She also was someone who, when her career kind of faded a little bit during those 1930s that I mentioned, she made a complete comeback in the 1940s. So, in other words, today we would say she ain't no joke, all right? And it's interesting, I wanted to take the time to not only keep my word to this audience that I would revisit her story during this month, but I also, for those who have not listened to the broadcast for March and who haven't gone online to GullahGeecheeNation.com and seen some of what was written about her, I want you to know her background because Bertha Chippy Hill was actually born March the 15th, 1905 in Charleston, South Carolina, here in the Gullah Geechee Nation. She was one of 16 children, okay, one, six children at that time, okay? Now, the interesting thing was 
that, like many Gullah Geechee families, to survive, to be able to take care of their children, to have better opportunities for the parents to get work, they moved from the South. So in 1915, when she was 10, she was moved to New York. And so when she got up there, of course, where do most of the black folks go then? Harlem. I would love to find out, and I'd appreciate if any of my listeners know, if Bertha Chippy Hill ever encountered Zora Neale Hurston and Langston Hughes and all of them who we consider today to have been part of the Harlem Renaissance while she was up there. If you know that information, please, in the chat room, hit me up now or email me to G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at AOL.com. Because here it is that Chippy, as she later came to be known, she actually started working at 14. All right? She was working at a club called Leroy's in New York. Now, she started working with Ethel Waters. Many of you are familiar with the singer Ethel Waters. Now, she got the name Chippy from working in the nightclub because she was so young. Now, what's interesting is that Chippy also started to work with Ma Rainey. Now, for those who are not familiar with Ma Rainey, Ma Rainey was part of a group called the Rabbit Foot Minstrels, okay? Now, I'm going to go back a little bit so those can get this in context because when we start talking about this migration in Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, then people getting in New York, and then these folks all from the south, down south, getting together, making this music. Ma Rainey, who many of you might be familiar with the production, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and you all have heard me talk about again on this roll call, Tamar Kali, whose roots are from St. Helena Island, South Carolina, on her mother's side of family. All right? Here it is. You have a Gullah Geechee that developed an Afro-punk, a black punk rock music style called Geechee Goddess Hardcore Warrior Soul. She's now evolved into doing a number of different types of music, and she has gone back to doing her shows in such a way that's very similar to the way Ma Rainey and those might have done theirs. And so her latest uh, EP is called Black Bottom, and all many of my listeners here, y'all contributed to the success of not only that CD, but to her tour. Well, let's go back. Ma Rainey, here she is, that she was born Gertrude Pridget on April 26, 1886. So when we're talking about 1886 now, keep in mind when that is, all right? That's not that long after the Civil War. This is during the Reconstruction era. She was born during that time. So, again, when we talk about what people went through, emitting from their soul, it's a wonder she became known as, and billed as the mother of the blues. All right? She was a professional blues singer. She was born in Georgia. She was actually born, they say, in Columbus, Georgia, that she would tell people she was born in Columbus, Georgia. But then... Information has been discovered that that might not have been the case, whether she realized it or not. Many people down here were born to midwives. Midwives caught the baby. So 
midwives recorded information at different times, not necessarily the same day or the day after a baby was born. Information got changed around. Census reports got information changed around and so on. So as people started to study more on the life of Gertrude Pridgett, a.k.a. Ma Rainey, they found that her parents were actually from Alabama and that her parents had her in Alabama is what they're saying. But either way the case, she migrated her way and became a part of Columbus, Georgia. And, again, we got a 12- to 14-year-old girl coming out on stage. Now, this was a church girl. She was a member of the First African Baptist Church. But she would go out and she would perform in these black minstrel shows. And then she started touring with F.S. Walcott's Rabbit Foot Minstrels. Okay? So now... That's when she really got exposed in 1902 to all this blues music. And then she started uh, going out doing all these different performances and things. And eventually she was billed, that, well, along with someone else in the family, as the Rainy and Rainy, all right? Assassinators of the blues. That's how they were billed. Assassinators of the blues. She would spend the winters in New Orleans which allowed her then to meet Joe King Oliver and Louis Armstrong, Sidney Bichette, Pop Foster, and the blues she kept on doing. So here it is that at some point in the career of Chippy, she ends up right on along with this rabbit foot minstrel with Ma Rainey. And then she eventually set out on her own and started touring the circuit in the 20s on her own. She eventually moved to Chicago. So about 1925, she ended up up there. She started working with King Oliver's Jazz Band. She recorded in 1925 with the Oki Records, and she was there with who? Louis Armstrong, Richard Jones. She did Pratt City Blues, Lowland Blues, Kidman Blues and Georgia Man in Trouble in My Mind. She did all of these different recordings that many people who are staunch blues folks recall, want in their collections, would love to have the original 78s and, you know, 33s and 45s of this music. And so here it is that she started being in radio and, and in clubs and in concerts in New York, and in 1948, she even was at Carnegie Hall, and she also had the opportunity to sing at the Paris Jazz Festival and work with Art Holtz in Chicago. In 1950, when she came back again to Illinois, she was run over by a car. Well, in New York, she got run over by a car. She was only 45 years old, and she's buried in Illinois. Um, so they took her body to Illinois not back to Carolina. And so, you know, we honor the memory of Chippy. Now, we're not encouraging any of our teenage girls to go out here that's listening and say, well, you know, Ma Rainey did it and Chippy Hill did it, and they were 14, they were 16, they was in the club singing music, they were singing blues, they was on the vaudeville circuit. We're not telling you to go out and do that because I'm sure that these women saw more than they would ever tell anybody. 
by wet, by being in those clubs at that age. They also were there during a different era with the vaudeville circuit and with them being able to sing with their clothes on as opposed to today where every other thing is about sex sells. So it's critical when we start to look at the juxtaposition of a Bessie Smith, a Ma Rainey, in a, in, a, in a chippy to a Bessie Jones and the Georgia Sea Island Singers and the variation on the music and how the music basically comes out of the bush off or the brush off or the church but evolves with the spirit of their times and the things that they're going through into the blues and takes them on the road and evolves into this improvisation called jazz, one of the only forms that people like to admit is truly American music and an American creation, but so are the spirituals. Okay, and so is blues, and so here is Geechee Goddess Hardcore Warrior Soul. All of these things are things that we can look back on here in the Gullah Geechee Nation proudly and say that our ancestors, our elders, these that have now crossed over into the ancestral realm, have truly left sounds that were soulful, that emitted from the spirit and the spirit of God blessing them with the gift of music to help them survive trying times like the 20s and the 30s and, of course, Reconstruction. So it's interesting that people don't realize when they alter the music, the cadence, the beats, the rhythms, how much they alter the meaning of the sound and the music and how they also can evolve music and the sound and the meaning. And there is, y'all might say, well, Man in the roll call ain't but one man been mentioned so far, and that's Delvin. What happened to all the men, you know, that Gullah Geechee musicians? Well, I'm leading right on to that because there is a man, and y'all will hear me every Black Music Month here discuss this man because we are yet fighting for him to have his place in the South Carolina Hall of Fame. And this man is James Jameson, God bless the dead. Yes, the Gullah Geechee anointed spirit that is part of the Gullah Geechee Hall of Fame. This man, James Lee Jameson, born January 29, 1936, in Edisto Island, South Kakalaki, in Charleston County, South Kakalaki. Yes, the water, the tide flow in Charleston still got that polyrhythm hitting the shores that would emit and go into the very spirit of our people. Again, homegrown music. Here it is that Motown sound would not have been and would not be what it is had it not been for the funk brother, James Lee. Jameson. Now, again, when you read about him, you hear about him, if you study music, they just call him an American bass player. They don't call him a Gullah Geechee bass player. They don't go back too often to where the roots of his tradition were from as to why he hit the licks that he hit that people still can't duplicate today, that they consider soul and R&B and funk before there was a funk brother, James Jameson had funk already, all right? And so here it is that James Jameson was moved with his mom to Detroit, Michigan in 1954. So y'all would wonder well, how he ended up, the funk brothers, they leave on his own, was he growing or whatever? No, once again, 
we have this migration. We have this migration of black folk from the south going north, entering urban environments. Most of the time, people worked in factories. They worked in harsh conditions. They had to now pay rent where they left from places where people may have owned land, where they could have farmed food and ate. Now you got to buy food to eat out the supermarket. So somebody got to find a way. And so the fortunate thing is that they were able to have talents and to be able to hone these talents musically that could open more doors to them having income and being able to provide income for their families. Now, James Jamison had the opportunity to learn how to play the double bass at Northwestern High School. So once he started playing that double bass at the high school, he started getting opportunities to go where? In the blues and jazz clubs. Okay? Again, we got to look at it. We're talking about very young people. We're talking about teenagers that are out here making music, that are making careers for themselves early on so that they can open up this industry for themselves, open doors into this industry for themselves, and be able to really take care of themselves and their families. Now, when he he graduated, though, again, please don't start writing me or calling me, telling me, well, yeah, well, I'm talented, so you know I got a studio in my house, so you know I don't need school. These folks graduated. (laughs) Okay? They graduated. So James Jamison, he continued to perform, not only through high school, but after he graduated. And that's what allowed him to then get opportunities to start going into recording studios. In 1959 is when he ended up at Hitsville, which is Barry Gordy's studio. And that's where the Motown record label came out of. And there he became part of the in-house band. These recording studios at that time had their own set of musicians that usually stayed there as the studio musicians. They didn't necessarily leave and go on the road with the artist later. Some did, but these were the in-house musicians that did the pressing of the records at that time. I know y'all turned like, what's she talking about? Yeah, what y'all call MP3 and CD now. Okay, records. Um, So they were vinyl. So here it is that the Funk Brothers became the name of the in-house studio musicians at Motown. And so here it is that during the 1960s, Jameson was there with a number of these guys. And it wasn't until, it was in the 60s rather, that he switched to playing what a lot of people see him with in pictures, which is the electric Fender Precision Bass. And so many people, you know, when they see him, they see these iconic images of him carrying that Fender Precision Bass around, you know, and playing it with all his heart and everything. And everyone that I've ever spoken to that remembered him, they said, oh, he was off the chain now. He was a trip. But at the same time, they all still are in awe of the way he played bass. They are in awe that no one could duplicate him. No one could keep up with the kind of licks. They were in shock when he would come out with how this thing sounded, and how to get it. And that is part of the basis of that legendary success coming out of Hitsville, out of that Motown music. 
I know many of y'all are wondering right now, well, wonder what songs he played on. Well, y'all remember Shotgun. Shoot him, boy, run now. Yeah, that one. And then for once in my life, and I was made the lover by Stevie Wonder. He played on all of those songs. He played on Go Into a Go. Go. Yeah, he played on that one too. He played on My Girl with the Temptations, Dancing in the Streets with Martha Reese and the Vandellas. Played on I Heard It Through the Grapevine with Gladys Knight and the Pips. And he also played on What's Going On album with Marvin Gaye. All right? He also was part of Reach Out and I'll Be There and Bernadette by the Four Tops. You Can't Hurry Love by the Supreme. All of these were songs that when you go back and listen to them from now on, I want you to visualize in your mind the rhythm of a sea island tide coming in during a storm and how it alters, how it sounds different, how the speed is different, but how in between there are those low pieces. And then I want you to think of that Fender Precision Bass, no doubt the right name, Precision because that is what the Funk Brothers always had. That is what James Jamison is known for, his precision. Lay that over top of those waves. Pick up on the energy of that sound and realize what moved this man, what moved him through, what moved us by his sound, by his music. Syncopate that with a polyrhythm happening off in the bush and recognize and realize that polyrhythmic hand clap that's called a Sea Island clap and how it fueled the sound that made Alan Lomax want to record what we were doing, made them want to take that sound and capture it on recording disc so the next generation would have it to hear so that here it is that a Bessie Jones can come in with those sounds emitting from her soul that her granddaddy placed within her from the motherland and join right in with her folks on the coast of Georgia. Have that same thing come into another state of rhythm, be picked up on an electric guitar and turned into punk music. Geechee Goddess, Hardcore, Warrior Soul. Have all of these elements of sound syncopate African harmony in such a way that to this day, when we truly play the sounds from our soul, no one still can duplicate them. The Gullah Connection and I had the opportunity to record for Sony when I was the Gullah Heritage Consultant for Mel Gibson's The Patriot. And when they brought in this man that had done so many things, had a line of awards for his orchestration of music for musical scores for film, he scrapped everybody else's music that had been recorded prior to, and he started off from listening to what they'd done, brought in his own musicians and re-recorded everything in the way that he heard it, in the way that he could direct it. And they contacted me, and they said, well, you will share the billing with him 
for music, which he never allows for any film. Why is that? Because he cannot duplicate the music you and the Gullah Connection did. And I said to myself, Tanky God, because I know that's what people have wanted to do. And that is why, instead of being able to duplicate true Gullah Geechee music, that spiritual, spiritually from the soul, they anglicize it. They turn it into a minstrel show. They turn it into something that's entertaining for others, that's palatable for others. They try to extract the pain of it. They try to extract the revolution in it. And they come out with something, but it ain't the same as what you're honey chilling with a Yeti if you're going on back in the bush and you're going on to that shoreline and seeing them weaving things like that and Yeti women even the crack my teeth out in that bush off and that brush over you. And so when we start to think of these many Gullah Geechee artists, Bertha Chippy Hill, James Jameson, Candace Glover, Tamar Kali, Delvin Choice, Queen Quetna Gullah Connection, the Peck Ensemble, and Georgia Sea Island Singers, David Pleasant, the various other Gullah Geechee musical artists that have been recorded that are out there in the world that are yet still presenting our story from various stages and various places. It's critical never to forget the root of our culture, the root of our tradition, the fact that they made a law to try to stop us, actually, from beating the drum because they knew at some point a generation would hear that drum signal and they would gather like you did today to hear this story with this roll call of who we be and that you might truly celebrate with we, we souls, we sound, and we freedom. So definitely I appreciate the opportunity every chance I get because I'm a perpetual student to learning more about our story and to learning yet more about the Gullah Geechee story so that I can share it with my listeners. And, of course, on Gullah Geechee TV, share it with my viewers as well as my listeners to that as well. So I appreciate all of you who've tuned in tonight. I appreciate everybody who's in the chat room. And I love learning. So if you have someone else that you want to share with me is a Gullah Geechee musical artist, please give me a call at 347-324-3903. 347-324-3903. Now we ain't going to get into a long roll call of all these gospel groups out here because every church got a multiplicity of choirs and many of y'all got gospel groups that spin out from them churches, and so we ain't getting into that tonight. And we also have not touched upon Jazzy J, who many of you from the hip-hop world are quite familiar with as a DJ, who's on the other side of this thing. Because when I start talking about the vinyl and I talk about records and I talk about spinning and helping to get these songs out there for folks to hear, it is because of the DJ that many of these songs ever got played and got into our ears and that we are aware of them, especially with Motown. So definitely I don't want to leave Jazzy J out of this roll call 
whose roots are from Ladies Island, again in Beaufort County, South Carolina, although many people only know of him from New York. So once again, New York has been a place that truly has lived up to that adage that if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere. And so as we hear tonight, many of our Gullah Geechee musical artists went there to make it, and they did. But unfortunately, when they made it elsewhere, they didn't make it back home, and they did not end up with monuments to their honor in South Carolina or Georgia or Florida. They did not end up with people even recognizing them. And so we want you to make sure that you go online this month. Make sure that you type in for the James Jamison petition for the South Carolina Hall of Fame. Please make sure that you sign it, that you continue to back us up and support us. Make sure that you come out to the Gullah Geechee Nation International Music and Movement Festival the first weekend in August. We will also again have petitions there. And his nephew, his cousin, Anthony McKnight, will be presenting again this year, but this year with his band. All right, y'all saw him last year. If you attended the festival on St. Helena Island, you heard Brother Anthony, and he did it up, all right, with the Motown pieces, but he did tracks, and this year he's bringing his whole band. And so we're going to be bringing the house down in celebration of our continuing story through our music. We have also Latrice Bush, who is a native Gullah Geechee as well, who you've heard here on Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio. She is going to be a featured artist at our festival. So make sure you go to gullahgeechee.info, G-U-L-L-A-H-G-E-E-C-H-E-E.I-N-F-O. If you want to go, go to gullahgeechee.info. And once again, you can always hit us up at gullgeeko at aol.com, G-U-L-L-G-E-E-C-O at aol.com to find out more information on getting tickets and VIP passes for the Gullah Geechee Nation International Music and Movement Festival. And so as we continue throughout this month, a Black Music Month and celebration, we have more to bring to you on our story and black music and how we need to continue to support positive sounds in our community, but also educating our family and our children of all of these folks that come from their own community and their own culture and tradition. Because more often than not, people say they didn't do certain things because they didn't know they could. But when they have examples right before their faces that come from the same background that they came from, they have someone and something to emulate and, in some cases, imitate, but hopefully emulate so that they would recognize that they, too, can be out here being positive influences on the next generation and that they can create and that they can evolve. African people have always survived through creativity. And music has been a blessing, not only to us, but to the world, because we've been able to take the pain, the hardship, the anguish of someone trying to actually take a drum from us and make it a law that we shouldn't play it because they were scared that it would cause us to revolt, but more than that, scared because they knew it would bring us together. And that is what music does. As Stevie Wonder said, music is a world within itself. It's a language we all understand. All right? And so here it is that with that being the language that we understand, 
I pray that your understanding has been enhanced tonight in such a way that you would also appreciate and respect that the Gullah Geechee Nation has brought forth artists that have been recognized as great in their own eras of time and in their own right, and that they need to be celebrated not just during Black Music Month, but at all times. No matter what cities they went to and journeyed to live, they got their start on this sea island soil and in this coast. And I pray that there wouldn't be mimicry and minstrelsy of them, but that there would be true respect and honor due to them and to our ancestors that infused their souls with the spirits that rang out through their songs. And so it's definitely a blessing to have my own histomusical presentation troupe and have our own style that I created histomusical so that we have an opportunity to present not only music but our story around the world. And we are yet still on the Gullah Geechee Land and Legacy World Tour. We're spending most of our time here in the summer throughout the Gullah Geechee Nation, and that is why tomorrow, once again, which will be June the 17th, 2014, 10 a.m., I will be at the Colleton County Memorial Library, backed by popular demand once again for the summer reading program because I do incorporate education in my presentation for the lead chair and thing like that. So we do Juneteenth and we songs of freedom in the morning and thing like that. So I hope that Hunter Chillin will join me. It's free. Bring out the family. It's for everybody. And I pray that next week, Hunter Gwai be right here one more again. But we show Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio. For Hunter Chillin, it's time for we get up from you. It's time for we go. I'm so glad that Hunter tune in one more again with me. This year the Queen Quet head upon the body of the Gullah Geechee Nation. So glad it one more again to had a chance for host Black Music Month for Gullah Geechee Rhythm Radio Station. Peace, blessings, keep singing, keep dancing, keep learning, keep teaching. God bless you, Chilla. Thank you, thank you, y'all. Have a good evening.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.